I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing, rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Welcome to Ditch Digger CEO today. Um, we've got, uh, again, man, what, what an awesome, awesome guest we got today, Q. This, this friend of mine, uh, you know, I, I, I believe... When you just raise your hand and get involved in stuff, like there's there's a new chapter of YPO. This is a this is five years ago, six six boy, it's been low, six seven years ago now, and it was a new chapter where we said let's get this uh, instead of WPO gold, let's just this, let's just get a new type of WPO gold, which would be you know YPO turns into World Presidents Organization after 50, and it gets pretty old at 50, after 50 <laughs> because it's not just a, you're a 50 year old, you're a 50 to 90 year old, maybe 95 wow. year old. Which is kind of cool because you're meeting a lot of really neat people, old entrepreneurs, old business leaders, and it's fun to be around them as mentor, mentees and mentors and all that. But but we decided we were going to do something different. Something you know, uh, we wanted active CEOs and active entrepreneurs to be part of this new this new chapter. And a group of us started this thing, and it's uh, basically uh, you know it, it's basically YPO Gold. Um, but it's uh, but it's between it was between 50 and 60 year olds, mm. and uh, I was actually 47 or eight. I think my wife and I when we when we got this thing started, and and Ray and his wife Cindy were part of this. So when I say you know it's so it's a blessing when you raise your hand and just get involved in stuff on a constant basis, you get to be really busy. But you meet some amazing people, and so one of the first people first couples we met were this this character of a couple. Ray and Cindy. I mean, they're the, the they're, they stood out right away as the most fun people you could ever be around. Within within minutes, we 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 you know couldn't get away from. Them. We were so attached to them, Cheryl and I. And uh, so again, we've become very very good friends. Our, our some of our best friends as a couple, uh, Cheryl and I. Uh, these two are our, our top two of our top few friends in our lives right now. And we do a lot of growth. So 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 Ray not only uh, is a, a great business leader, uh, he's very philanthropic, does some cool stuff. So in, um, you want to introduce Ray Nicewander, my buddy. Thank you, Gary. It's uh, great to be here. You know what? Uh, we, we're great. We're blessed to have you, brother. Uh, it's it's going to be fun to talk about uh, your your journey and uh, and everything you've done. You're you're an inspiration to so many people, and uh, the inspiration will continue on with this. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. 
So we're, we're just go and introduce yourself quick. How about, uh, you know, who you are, where you live, your family, uh, just, just a couple of quick things about family and, and, uh, and your life. Sure. So Ray Nicewander, I'm the chairman and CEO of a family business called Raynor Garage Doors. Uh, we're based in Dixon, Illinois, which is about 100 miles straight west of Chicago uh, in the north of Illinois, but uh, definitely rural uh, area <laughs> from Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, and I represent the third generation in a family business that was started by my grandfather, Wow, Ray Nicewander Sr. Uh, back in 1929, he started a woodworking company, and it was just a, you know, a, a cabinet-making shop, um, very humble beginnings in a rented space that uh, was kind of nothing. Um, and he built a company from that over Where, where was over that time. space? That was in? That was in Springfield, Illinois. Springfield. In fact, the original uh, company was called Capital Woodworks, and the capital was from the state capital, Springfield. Oh, okay. Um, so pretty, very humble beginnings. Um, and then uh, eventually the, the company migrated up to Dixon, Illinois. There's a story behind that that I'll, that I'll get to. But uh, Dixon, Dixon, the land of our, our, one of our favorite presidents, Ronald Reagan. It's, uh, it's known to be Ronald Reagan's boyhood home. Mm -hmm. He was born in an even smaller little village called Tampico, um, and then, but was raised in Dixon from like the age of four or five years old. So uh, we like to think of him as our, our hometown uh, son and uh, really an inspiration too. Really, really quick, off, and I go off on tangents sometimes, Ray, so you got you know, Q and sure. you can get us back on in a second, but you know, I, I never forget uh, we had a job working at the prison out there about uh, 10, 12 years ago, and uh, the job was going bad, so we bid the job for X hundreds of thousands of dollars, and, and a weekend we got about 5% of the work done, it was supposed to be 50% done probably, right? And my, my superintendent at the time, Jamie Nikolai, my buddy was out there telling me how bad things were going and why, we're, why we just couldn't get any done. And so I said, doggone, you know, this is the perfect opportunity to show my guys I know what I'm doing. So sure enough, I, I, I drive out there, get a room in a hotel out there, and I take over the job. And, and so I'm out there running a job in the prison out there in Dixon. And in the hotel, I'm reading the history of Ronald Reagan because in the hotel out there, there's sure. a mural on the wall yep. talking about the lives he saved and all that. It was really fun. But, but, the, but the moral of the story is we got the job done, didn't lose too much money. I think we pretty bro you know, maybe broke even, got it done faster than normal because I lit a fire underneath the guards that wouldn't move for us fast enough to get, get us from one gate to another as we were paving different areas of the, the inside the prison. The funny thing was I, was I was working one day. I'm, I'm, I'm raking asphalt one day, and I hear, Rabine! And I'm, I'm looking around, and it's coming out of this crowd of prisoners about 50 <laughs> feet away from me, right? Raymond, is that you? <laughs> and it's an old friend of mine I, I used to shoot in pool tournaments with. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, his name was Gary, uh, you know, Gary uh, Bannis, and he was a really good pool player. And I'm like, what are you doing here? He goes, what are you doing here? I said, how'd you get here? I said, he says, uh, you told me the story, but uh, unfortunately he had some time to do it at, at mm -hmm. Dixon Prison. And, uh, but it was quite, quite an experience. I'll never forget the experience. I'll never forget the stories about Ronald Reagan. Sure. I, I learned while I was there, as well as uh, working inside the prison was quite an experience. And, uh, and, and uh, so anyway, cool. but just a backstory, but the prison system there is pretty, pretty uh, high security. It is. It's uh, become higher security over time. Um, it started out, I think, minimum, and I think now it's medium security facility. So, so, so Dixon is where he became. So, tell, so where did this whole story start? Your, your grandfather. So, with my grandfather, he got his first big break, um, really during World War II, and they, 
uh, took over his little woodworking shop and made it an ammunitions crating factory. And so he got a contract with the government and uh, started building crates for ammunition for ammunitions to support Whoa. the war effort. Um, and that really kind of got him into a production frame of mind. Um, and then post-war, um, he had this opportunity where he was making wood garage door sections for other manufacturers spread around the Midwest. Um, one was a company in Rockford, Illinois called Barber Coleman, part of the Coleman family. Huh. Um, Col- and they, Coleman like uh, lanterns, camping stuff? Yeah, mm-hmm. Wow. And so they, they had a company called Barcole. So just like Raynor, where you take two two names and blend them together to create a name, Barcole was this was a, a door company based out of Rockford. And there were a few others scattered around the Midwest, uh, and we started building wood garage door sections as sort of an OEM source for these other small companies. Mostly residential then at the time, huh? Residential and commercial. commercial I mean, too. at the time, everything was made out of wood. Okay. Um, so the, the way the story goes is uh, my grandfather was on a train to Minneapolis to go to a lumberman's convention uh, where they would go and buy uh, wood. They, they, they would do contracts for lumber, which was all shipped by rail, mm-hmm. and they would buy like a year's supply of lumber at a time. Uh, and he met a guy uh, that was based out of Quincy, Illinois, um, whose last name was Norberg. Um, and Mr. Norberg ran a little garage door uh, company in Quincy, um, and they and he was a um, a metal uh, a metallurgist and really knew how to uh, bend metal, how to stamp metal. So so you you put the all the all the hardware and the track and spring systems of a garage door mm-hmm. together with the wood sections and you have a garage door product and they they got together they took the nor out of william norberg's name and they took the ray out of my grandfather's first name huh. and they created huh. ray nor um, wow. and it was this little company that started in quincy um, around the same time my gr- my grandfather as he started to have success in business his um, his real personal passion was flying, uh, and he loved uh, airplanes. Mm -hmm. And so he bought a little airplane, and he used to fly around the Midwest predominantly, and he would uh, just land in any small town and poke around and and see if there was someone who wanted to get into the garage door distribution business by, you know, being their dealer Uh um, and selling, installing, and servicing garage door products. So he would go after anybody in business, anybody that had a a shop in the Lumber yards, anything that made sense, right? And he started building this little dealer network. Well, over time, after a couple of years of this, uh, uh, Mr. Norberg, who's back in the factory running things, sees my grandfather running around the country in his airplane. It looked like a big party. Mm-hmm. Um, setting up this dealer network, and and they had this agreement that uh, if they ever didn't agree in business, that one could offer to buy out the other, sure. mm-hmm. and then it became kind of an auction. Then the other could counter offer mm-hmm. until someone, you know, had the higher bid. So Mr. Norberg approached my grandfather to buy his share of the business out, and my grandfather countered. And I don't know how many times they went back and forth, but eventually <laughs> my grandfather bought out Mr. Norberg's share. Oh, wow. Which uh, my dad and I were real happy about because otherwise you might be talking to somebody named Norberg today <laughs> instead of Nice Wander. Yeah. Uh, so what year, what year was that, Ray? That would have been 1948-ish. Wow. Um, and so my grandfather then said, I don't want to stay in Quincy because all that employee group. Where's Quincy on the map? It's right on the uh, 
Mississippi River, okay. and it was supposed to be St. Louis two, before St. Louis was St. Louis, oh, okay. and, and it was supposed to be Minneapolis, St. Paul. I mean, a lot of um, European immigrants, uh, especially Germany, Poland, and Hungary, ended up in Quincy, Illinois. So they brought all these European skills with them, especially in metal bending and metal mm-hmm. forming. Um, but as the as trade developed, the boat kept going north to Minneapolis and bypassed Mississippi. And it oh. was kind of one of these little river towns that was stuck in the middle um, and never really developed. Um, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a thriving little uh, Mississippi, you know, Mark Twain style river town um, uh, located just north of St. Louis. What's the population today, Quincy? I, I would be guessing, but I would guess around 20,000, okay. maybe. There, they, right. There's a Quincy co- private college there, Quincy College. Yeah, I've heard of it. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so my grandfather then said, I need a new home for Rainer. And he started looking around the Midwest, and he said, I either want to be close to St. Louis or close to Chicago. I need to be close to a major city mm-hmm. to which I can you know, draw raw materials from yeah. and then have a market to sell into. Okay. And so we ultimately settled in Dixon as a suburb, uh, you know, kind of a rural suburb of Chicago, but with a good uh, small town farmer kind of work ethic. Sure. Um, and um, so we shut, he set up shop in Dixon in about 1948. Um, and, and then we've been building this door company ever since. Now, also, as kind of a parallel track to this entrepreneurial grandfather um, that I that I had, um, he never moved to Dixon. He always remained in Springfield. And as part of his love of flying, as he would run around the country, he saw this emerging, uh, you know, uh, interstate highway system being mm-hmm. built beneath him. Sure. And it was a, yeah. a really amazing thing to, you know, we had the railroads in the early 1900s, and then right after World War II, we started building this interstate highway system and so much of it went right through the heartland, through Illinois mm-hmm. and the surrounding area. And uh, as part of this emerging highway system, he saw these really neat um, roadside hotels being built for the first time, all under one brand, a national mm-hmm. branded hotel. Um, and this uh, this uh, traces the roots of the Holiday Inn story. Get um, out of here. Which was born out of Memphis oh, uh, wow. in Tennessee by a a uh, real entrepreneurial guy, a guy that uh, was like uh, Gary Rabine before there was ever a Gary, <laughs> Gary Rabine. Rabine. okay. All a right. serial entrepreneur, this this gentleman, Kemmons Wilson, who built the first Holiday Inn in Memphis in 1952. Um, and my grandfather, you know, it was, you know, it's the old real estate, you know, adage that it's location, location, location. Is it, is it still there? Uh, the first Holiday Inn. The first Holiday Inn was. It was uh, sadly. It was. Um, it was became obsolete as old hotels do, mm-hmm. and was torn down. And I think the '90s maybe. Uh, there's a plaque that commemorates the site. Um, but uh, so my grandfather, you know, took his plane down to Memphis, and he went to meet with these guys that were developing this, and s- said, "How does this hotel thing work?" And he got the franchise rights to Central Illinois. Oh man! And built the first Holiday Inn in the heart, uh, you know, uh, in the heartland in Springfield, wow. on Old Route 66 that started in Detroit and ended up in L.A. and went right through Illinois and onto St. Louis. Um, mm-hmm. So we built. He built the first Holiday Inn in Illinois in Springfield, and was kind of on the ground floor of this emerging. 
This is the early 50s, boom. basically? This would have been, I think I think he built his in maybe 1956. Okay. So three or four years into the franchising of, you know, and franchising back then wasn't a big thing. So he was kind yeah. of inventing franchising in a big way at the same time. Absolutely. So, um, so my grandfather stayed in Springfield and ran the hotel group. Uh, we built hotels in Decatur and Rockford and Aurora. Uh, Springfield, um, so it was very mid, you know, central Illinois centric. Mm-hmm. He was partners in many others. Uh, there's a, a very famous uh, hotelier out of uh, Missouri, John Q. Hammonds, that built uh, dozens and dozens of hotels, may, maybe uh, numbering into the hundreds today. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they were good buddies. Um, and so uh, I, I, I've sensed a lot of influence in my grandfather's entrepreneurship that came from this guy who was probably 15 or 16 years younger than him, uh, Kemmons Wilson in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. A lot of parallels uh, to the Rainer story as there was to his uh, building this Holiday Inn franchise across America, which you know eventually became the largest branded hotel company yeah. and a kind of a piece of Americana, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the 50s, Kinda 60s, like the McDonald's it, uh, it was, of hotels. Right? It was one of those, uh, for, you know, one of those brands that was like a McDonald's yeah. or Coca-Cola. You know, became a a real part of the American landscape in the in the hotel world in you know 50s, you know, through through the 2000s. And then and then in in uh, Memphis, any connection to to uh, the King? So there's a there's an interesting story because. Um, um, uh, also in Memphis, or at around the same time, um, there was a gentleman, Sam Phillips, uh, who who moved to Memphis from this little town of Florence, Alabama, um, and set up a recording studio called uh, Memphis Recording Services. Uh, and I think the year was uh, around 1956. I might be off by a cu- couple years. Uh-huh. Might have been 54, but. Uh, young, a young man strolled into this uh, this studio, and for five bucks you could cut a little acetate rec- recording, <laughs> and you could hear yourself played back. And so this was the discover the famous discovery of Elvis Presley. Mm. Wow! Um, and uh, so Elvis came in there and uh, and did a recording. As did Carl Perkins, as did Jerry Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash and and Roy Orbison. You know, wow. many uh, his his real fame was he was uh, uh, Sam Phillips was way ahead of his time in that he really loved what at the time was called race music, which was really gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, that emanated from the South, from the from the Mississippi Delta region. Uh, a lot of poor black um, uh, workers, a lot of poor white farmers, uh, like the Jerry Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash variety. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they didn't have a voice in recording, and so he started recording them. And, you know, guys like Muddy Waters, for instance, um, and sending them up to Chicago, to the Chess Brothers, who put them on record, uh, chess records here in Chicago. Um, and eventually he figured out that in order to really make it in the music business, he had to start stamping his own records under his own label. So he created this iconic Sun Records, which all these recording artists were, were recorded on. Wow. And the funny story is, is that this, this uh, relationship, so you've got Sam Phillips in the recording industry, and he had radio stations that he, before he ever had a recording studio, he had a couple of uh, small radio stations, one in Florence, uh, Alabama. And uh, he talked 
Mr. Wilson into putting a radio station in this first Holiday Inn. And his uh, vision was that he wanted to have the first radio station that was entirely um, run, operated. Uh, then, in those days, they, you had your, your daily show. Mm-hmm. So it was a series of shows by day. Um, and he wanted it to be entirely African-American. Uh, but he had to apply for the license um, with the FCC, and he couldn't get it. And by the time he finally got a license, that that idea had already been done. Mm. And so he said, what can I do that's completely different? So he created the first radio station that was all female. Huh. Oh, wow. So awesome. he just he, he, he just went another. And wow. so um, it was must have been quite a spectacle. I wish I could have uh, witnessed it. But to have this all-female radio station... Uh, that was located live inside this first Holiday Inn in Memphis uh, just to draw people and interest and attention to the hotel as uh, well as to the to the radio so talk station. Talk about an icon in diversity, right? I mean, nobody really thought about this stuff back then or cared right. hardly, right? And that's that's where he was way ahead of his time because yeah. he, he really believed that the music, that this soul type of uh, mm-hmm. and blues should, should, should be heard uh, through a wider audience. Well, was he right, huh? Thank you. So, yeah, and then he's also famous, Mr. Wilson. Uh, he was the one that advised Sam Phillips to sell Elvis's contract for thirty-five thousand dollars back in the day, which uh, <laughs> which was arguably one of the biggest uh, mistakes you know a, an entrepreneur could ever make. Uh, but Sam was you know at the time was a struggling businessman. I mean, he had radio stations, he had this fledgling recording studio, mm-hmm. but he wasn't hitting it big yet, right? So, I mean, you do what you have to do, and at the time, a $35,000 contract was the largest contract for a single artist in the history of the music business. Wow. And so he thought, you know, he hit it big. So, so you're, did, you, did your Gramps have any stories of, of interactions with these, these characters? I, I'm sure he had to. You know, the, 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 the famous stories that run in our family circles is that my grandfather would go fly his airplane to Memphis and pick up what, what we always refer to as the brass from Holiday Inn. And he would fly them up to uh, Canada to where he had a fishing cabin or a lodge. Uh-huh. Um, and they would uh, they would have their boys' weekends, you know, hunting and fishing, playing cards, and, you know, just generally misbehaving. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, so he knew he knew all those people. So I'm sure he would have come, you know, run across Sam, Sam Phillips. And, uh, you know, maybe Elvis is a stretch, but, uh, you know, yeah. he was running in those circles at he was, the time. He was right there in the beginning of all that. It was pretty wild. And, and we'll, we'll talk later how that blood has run through our, our buddy Ray here with the rock and roll and, and the history that he's gotten him, uh, himself as well. That, that's how, so, so then from there, tell us, tell us where it progressed and how, so, how it became what it is today. So we had, on, on the one hand, we had a garage door, a fledgling little garage door manufacturing company uh, in, in about 45,000 square feet of production space in Dixon, Illinois. Mm-hmm. We had a little hotel business that was emerging uh, that was based out of Springfield. He created another company, um, which we called Quickwall, which was basically turning a garage door on its side and running the track overhead to create wall systems oh. for room division. And so every old Holiday Inn, you know, as they got into conventions and, and yeah. meeting space, uh, needed needed this these partitions for room division. Mm-hmm. And so every old Holiday Inn, you know, he created a, another little company based on seeing that opportunity and having that inside track with, with the hotels. And so that was a little Springfield manufacturing company. And then he wow. did something very unique where he put a management team in place in Dixon and let them run 
you know, so he hired talent, you know, which I, which I think is uh, one of the first um, essential qualities of a leader is, you know, when you, when, you, when you migrate from managing something to leading something, especially in an entrepreneurial track, it's all about the people, right? Absolutely. And hiring people that are better than you, that are smarter than you, um, but as committed as you um, to the success of an enterprise. And he did that in Dixon and built this, uh, what we always still today refer to as the management team mm-hmm. um, concept. And he let them run with it. He provided the capital um, and they ran the company. And that uh, eventually became, my, my father became a part of that the year I was born in 1961. Um, so, you know, not 15 years later after moving to Dixon, you know, my father became part of that um, original management team um, that started growing the company. And then, you know, the other thing uh, in, in, in Kemens Wilson's book about Holiday Inns, uh, he titled it Half Luck, Half Brains, <laughs> um, recognizing that um, it's not the smartest people who become successful in business, entrepreneurial, you know, as entrepreneurs or, or otherwise, um, but it's being in the right place and recognizing an opportunity and then being able to really back that up with just commitment and hard work. The Absolutely. do what it takes kind of mentality that, uh, um, you know, even if we're not the best today, we'll outwork you kind of thing. Right. Um, and that's what that team did. Uh, but they were also in the right place at the right time. I mean, uh, post-war economy in the U.S., the 60s were kind of rock and roll. The 70s were good. I mean, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things going on in the world in the 70s, but uh, the economy kept expanding. And then for us, the 80s were... Um, really put us on the map in a national way when we um, we created what we call the first race panel steel door. So it was a major migration from wood garage door product to steel product, okay. um, base product. That had already happened in the commercial side of our industry, but on the residential side, all garage doors were still pretty predominantly wood. What year was this? This was 1980. Wow, all the way to 1980. So uh, um, the way, uh, the, 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 the truth of the matter is we had a competitor that created the first race panel steel door. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have, it's the old Stanley company. And Stanley didn't have distribution. They had great technology. Mm-hmm. And they had great innovation. And they created this cool product. But they didn't have a dealer network like we had mm. to push product sure. through. And so the team at the time, I'm, I'm in college during, during this time, so I can't claim any credit for any of this, but uh, um, they saw it and they recognized the opportunity, and so they were a fast follower. So we were really second, but claimed to be first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so we, uh, we very quickly developed a race panel steel door. We called it the decade, the door of the decade. Uh, and uh, started um, selling steel raised panel residential doors, and it went crazy. Um, our business just went into a real boom kind of period throughout the entire decade of the 80s, and we were then able to uh, start establishing distribution, not just regionally. In the we, we were already kind of strong in the Midwest and in the Northeast, uh, but it allowed us to expand our distribution nationally so so you know as far as if you think about what ray just said right q i mean distribution is everything right you can have the greatest ideas in the world and the, and the greatest products in the world 
but if you don't have the distribution channel, right, nobody's hearing about it, right? That's right. And and for for my my business, this business, and most businesses, it, it's it's that hockey stick thing, right? It, it takes a long time to establish trust and relationships in that distribution network, and once you have it. Now you can enter new ideas and new products and, and solve new new problems for that customer and enter another opportunity another opportunity for business or, or a division <coughs> of the business to that 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 network that distribution network right so I mean the, the success we're having nowadays Ray is exactly that we're 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 really our relationship is very strong in the in the large facilities owners across the country as well as distribution um, companies like Exelon mm-hmm. and different companies we do work for so so our trust levels are very high. And now when we have a new product, they're there to say, hey, well, let us help you pilot that product. Let us help you get that to market, right? That's right. 20 years ago, I never had that. They'd say, well, what do we, we have nothing to do with you. We're not, we're not <laughs> going to take any risk with you. Who the heck are you, right? Today, it's, it's much easier. Just like Rainer, just like Rainer, for you guys to introduce a new product, your reputation's strong, your, your trust levels are so strong with your customers. Big advantage over, you know, let's say Q, you got an idea for a garage door, it's gonna be pretty tough for you, right, personally to knock on doors to get in front of the, the, the big buyers, right? But if you got a partner like Ray, okay, now you, now you got something. Yeah, well, right? I, got, I got you, so, you know. <laughs> so now when you come up with an idea for garage doors, you got your guy, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wanted to um, allude to, and it probably I think it'll be a, a quality, I mean, at least a, a good question in, in my mind. Um, it seems like you come from a pedigree of people who can I- identify opportunity. And I think as a, a lot of people who want to be an entrepreneur or want to get in an area of passion, probably they uh, that's probably something that they probably lack. They don't necessarily know. They just think they could come up with something and be like, oh, let me try this, right? It seems like your dad saw something. It's like, oh, the doors, let me help out with, you know, so... And I'm, I'm assuming that mindset has uh, intricated, or in, it, it's, it's in you as well. It's, it's part of your lineage. So how how do you identify opportunity as a person who's so successful in a third generation company? Maybe an idea, Ray. I've heard a lot of, about different things you're doing. You know, we're good friends, so I hear different ideas. We bounce, you know, bounce things off each other, and mm-hmm. I know a lot of cool things that you continue to do to progress. But share with Q and, the, and our audience, you know, a couple of things you guys have done since since you've been a leader in the business and things to, to think differently or, or take you to the next level. Sure. So you know, there's there's a couple things about you know entrepreneurs that, you know, there's a there's a uh, a real interesting book called the E Myth or the the myth of entrepreneurialism. And you know, so you know, when when I think of a true entrepreneur, they they see they have an idea that maybe hasn't really been done before. Um, and they're they're doing something really new and unique, um, and there's always opportunity for that. I mean, if you look at things um, a little bit differently, and you see a need that for yourself, you know, this is where Mr. Hammonds, you know, he went on a vacation and was just immensely frustrated with the lack of quality roadside inns, mm-hmm. and and he was just really angered by the fact that if you traveled with kids, and he had a bunch of them. Um, they charged you for every person as opposed to for the room. Mm. And, his, and his gripe was, you know, it's the same room, whether I put two people in it or four, yeah. um, why are you charging me more? And so he vowed that he was going to build quality um, roadside, you know, um, lodging and never charge more for kids. Huh. It just angered him so, you know, just it just it, it went against his value system that you should that you would penalize more a family. Kids, yeah. Right. So and and so it 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 stirred in him a passion to fix it, solve the problem. And then he you know and then he and then he went around and said, uh, if you join me, if you if you want to uh, become a franchisee, 
you know, um, I've got a business model that will make you a millionaire. Back then it was like the millionaire thing, right? And he, and, and one of his uh, things that he was very proud of was that he helped a lot of people become really successful mm-hmm. business people because they didn't invent it, right? But they saw the opportunity to jump on board, which is what my grandfather did. Yeah. Um, he saw, you know, from his plane, he saw these cute little, you know, yeah. holiday, you know, the holiday inside, the big lit up neon sign with the arrow. You couldn't miss it. You could right. see it from the air. You could probably see it from 100 miles away. Um, uh, and so it's recognizing, you know, an opportunity that's already in front of you that you maybe didn't invent mm-hmm. or you didn't think of but jumping on the bandwagon, right? And uh, I, I think the common denominator in, in being a, uh, a business person is um, believing in yourself because of your commitment to the work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so first and foremost, believing in yourself and then working hard enough to, you know, it's like waking up hungry every day, or as some people say, you know, waking up and unemployed every day. I gotta, I only eat what I kill, so I gotta go kill something today. Um, hungry dogs run faster. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> so it's kind of having that mentality. Yeah. And then you know, when you when you're when you're born into it, like I am, right? So, um, you know, I didn't uh, wasn't necessarily bred, you know, with that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and so, you know, when you when you look at uh, family business succession. Uh, the hardest one's always the first one, mm-hmm. um, because you know you take a guy like like uh, Mr. Wilson with Holiday Inn or my grandfather with Rainer, they created something. It's kind of part of them, and letting go of that is incredibly difficult. Gary, you'll probably experience this in your lifetime with what you've built here at, mm-hmm. at Raybine Group, um, because it's uh, it's truly something that's part of you, and letting go of that is incredibly tough. So I do a lot of uh, advising of business leaders on, you know, the, the right way and the proper way and, and the necessity to let go because, you know, we're just, you know, first generation wealth creators have a hard time facing their own mortality. Uh-huh. And that's just sure. a fact, right? And the, all the research and evidence kind of supports this. And we had the same difficulty in, in our family business. And that that's why so many first generation businesses don't succeed into the second generation is simply because, the handoff is just so rocky. And then you end up with a second generation group of owners, typically siblings, right? Uh, that have never had to work together and uh, don't know how to run a business collectively. You know, you just went from having the godfather kind of <laughs> owner that ran and controlled and, you know, the buck stopped there. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a group of people. Well, our business was a little fortunate in that. My grandfather had this management team uh, yeah. that already was sort of used to running things separate from the owner, right? Sure. Um, but but in, in too many cases, for the first time you see a group of successors as siblings that um, are unable to work well together. And secondly, um, they feel like they've been handed the prize, mm-hmm. and so they don't want to screw it up. Mm-hmm. And so they're risk-averse. Um, and that, that can be symptomatic of second-generation leadership teams is they fail, they just want to keep things the same 
which you know is likely the thing that's going to kill any business. So, so exa- when we see competition across the country, Ray, we see this, right? We see old school companies that have been around for second gen, either late and first generation or second generation in our space, sometimes third, but but they're they're old school and they don't want to change. They're, they've been doing it this way for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and and man, this has worked. So they're not changing too fast. Well. I look at that as as a, da- a dangerous mentality. Can, can be can, can be very dangerous compared to continue to have an entrepreneurial uh, uh, mentality where you're constantly pushing the envelope, constantly challenging the industry to get better, and and constantly trying to lead your industry. And so, I, again, how do you, how do you how do you look at those two things? Well, and, uh, from my own experience, you know, I had a great example in my father. In that, you know, there's two things um, about my father and his father before him, and that is, you know, my grandfather's a you know, was a pretty old school German guy, right? And he was tough as nails. Um, and he wasn't harder, you know, he was harder on his family than he was anyone mm-hmm. else, right? So he just was very demanding and expected a lot. And so, um, you know, I guess translated, um, my father and his siblings grew up very humble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had a, a real sense of humility to their character. Um, and then secondly, so that, you know, that's actually a very good thing, um, done, done right. Uh, yeah. The second thing was he had um, this management team in place that my father was a part of. And the, the example from my father was that he was uh, unafraid of change, in fact, embraced it. So he, he was not one of those that resisted it. He welcomed it. And so the two things that I, I think I really learned from my dad was uh, – just a, a real sense of humility that there are other people with good ideas uh, that might be smarter than you or more capable or might see things that you don't see that you really need to listen to. Uh, and then the second thing is, um, you know, you just got to stay. You, you can't be afraid to make the hard decisions and you can't be afraid to change. It's it's an essential part of reinventing yourself as a company over and over and over again. Um, and what worked yesterday might not be the right solution for tomorrow. Right. Um, so you kind of hold on to traditional values, but you have to remember that the people change, the products change, the customers change. I mean, we live in a changing world, and so you're constantly looking for ways to adapt to it and then also seeking opportunity um, within those changes. So that's the, the, the key, I think, in any longevity from generation to generation is a willingness to accept change as a is the one constant uh, to continue to have the same level of commitment and being able to make those hard decisions uh, because they they can be truly tough and that's where when you when you think of governance in a family business and you bring in some independent-minded outside mm-hmm. directors they can help um, help you see where it might be essential to change and I've got a couple examples of that um, there's there's a there's a thing in in a family business um, which you know I'll, I'll simplify it's basically uh, what we call overcommitment and it's because we started it we tried it and damn it you know we're taking the long view <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we're gonna make sure this thing works and not realizing you know uh, a bad idea for what it is a bad product a bad you know and as you get more and more invested in that bad idea right you don't want to let go of it and you yeah. keep doubling down yeah, we, we and you double all this down money. And double down right we've had this problem before. and so <laughs> you can you know that's where outsiders can say it might be time to let yeah. go of that right? it's hard for you that's right um because 
you're you're just overcommitted to it. And there's some famous exa- examples of that that uh, you know that you can see uh, um, you know repeated uh, in in family business circles. So you know that um, you know having the the um, the wisdom to listen to others, even when you might not fully agree, mm-hmm. is uh, is really a, a critical thing for continuing to evolve the family business and and take some of those next steps. So, so the combination of culture in an, in a in a third generation business, the, the the consistent culture combined with the constant change, right? Can, can you explain to us about that? And and what we really call that culture is our our, our values, right? Okay. I mean. And you know we we are uh, you know I could spend a whole session just on values, but uh, it's 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 important to know have a sense. We, of, we may get right back because there's a lot more than this. I mean, when you when you talk about when you talk about boards, this guy's the best at building boards and and and, and understanding what a board should look like for different size companies. Um, raise a wealth of information when it comes to you know values, building values based on the culture of the company, the industry you're in. I mean, uh, we could we could got to get him on again because he's got a lot more to talk about that we can learn from, right? So, so we're so get you know back to you another time when we get time with you. Having a sense of who you are, you know, what you stand for as a as a person and a business. Um, and there's been studies that have been you know shown that you know those companies that have a real sense of who they are mm-hmm. tend to succeed over the long term, right? Even though, like we said before, the people change, you know, the products change, you know, you live in a state of change, um, the values don't necessarily have to change. And, you know, one, one of our values that uh, is we really identify as a family business. And um, what's interesting for us is our dealer network, as we look around the country, are small family businesses, right? They're they are they're professional installing dealers um, of garage door products mm-hmm. that sell, install, and service doors in you know local communities all around the country. They are they are the backbone of America. They are the small business, and t- typically a dealer you know ranges from ten to thirty employees um, between salespeople and and, and installation mm-hmm. technicians and service techs and 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 the like. Uh, and so we we have um, family businesses out there. Some of them are third generation, just like we are, mm. um, doing business with a family business. And so we really connect on that on that level that right. we're trying to help them be successful um, as a small family business. And um, they are the backbone of, of who we are Absolutely. because distribution, as you mentioned, Gary, is is king. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know that um, is is one of several of our of our basic values that i think helps us um you know have clarity in what we're trying to do as as we look at current challenges and future opportunities and the kinds of changes that, that we need to make no, as a knowing, company. knowing who you are is so important i mean it, when, when you think about that the family business mentality like you have it, it could be a, it could be a culture that that you'd love to embrace and some people won't want to embrace it right, right. And, and so but but to clarify that up front while you're hiring and recruiting and building your team right and you have a large large team today um, you got to be clear on it, and and there's huge advantages for your team to be part of that environment because I know how you think, and, and and this family business isn't just your immediate family; it's your your team members or your family as well. That's right. And so I love loved it. Just a quick on that, what, what, the way you think about that. Yeah, you have to, you know, you have to think. We we think in terms of extended family, mm-hmm. um, and it it really has very little to do with um, 
those of us that you know are identified as shareholders or you know family member owners because um, that's a you know uh, as as a third generation chairman I have shareholders that are I have a few uh, my my father has two siblings who are still alive so we have a couple of uh, second generation shareholders there's a whole bunch of third generation shareholders like myself uh, probably 24, 25 of us wow. still living, right? And then we have fourth generation shareholders. Uh, there's maybe 40 or more of those and one fifth generation shareholder. Wow. So I have over 75 shareholders um, that are all family. So as a family shareholder group, that's pretty large. Yeah. But in terms of our extended family of stakeholders, mm -hmm. that's pretty small. Um, you know, we're, we're nearly a thousand employees. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if, if we look at our dealer network across the country, we have, you know, 800 dealers. That's probably, uh, 10,000 or more people that, wow. uh, that rely on, on Rainer as a, as a primary supplier, um, to, to make their businesses work. And then you have communities that are involved. You know, we're, we're a large employer in a small community, um, and, they're important to us and we're important to yeah, them you, you so gotta, you got to go to dixon sometime number one it's an awesome town it's beautiful it's really it's on the river rock river it's a really cool old town really cool old uh, uh downtown and uh but but not not far away from downtown is the 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 rain you know basically another unincorporated town of rainer it looks it looks <laughs> to me anyway you go through this one area and, and rainer buildings everywhere rainer trucks everywhere i mean it's a you guys got a huge campus there today that uh must must be a a, uh, a, a huge blessing to that community as far as jobs and opportunity that you guys have that, that isn't common in that marketplace. That's right. We take we take that very seriously. It's a it's important to be a responsible and engaged corporate citizen as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, um, as Dixon goes, we go, and 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 vice versa. So it's a, it's important that. Uh, we take an active role in trying to make our community a great place. Absolutely. So, a couple more, a couple of things I want to touch on for sure is, you know, where where did you get this the, the mind this this mind of business and entrepreneurship and all that? I mean, what was it like as a kid? I mean, were you were you uh, were you pampered as a as a young Ray uh, Ray Ray the third? <laughs> were you were you a pampered little guy? Or tell me get what gave because I know you was a working son of a gun. I mean, still today, kind of a work work you know work and family is your key is your thing. Work family work probably faith first family and work but sure. i mean you are such a focused guy busier than business can be and you don't have to be if you don't want to be but you are and well you, where, where, yeah where'd you so where'd you get that mentality how'd, how'd you become so for so for any of the listeners to this that uh that might be in dixon they, they wouldn't you know i'd have a hard time convincing them that that uh, our family didn't grow up with the you know the silver spoon kind of thing uh but but actually i mean it came from a great family um i'm one of eight kids so i have six sisters and a brother um so we had this you know this large crazy dynamic family um mm -hmm. that was always just in perpetual motion and you know uh, my grandfather was a tough guy and uh, he believed in being toughest on his kids um and so you know uh my dad didn't uh make a lot of money and rainer wasn't a big company mm -hmm. in the 60s and 70s as i was as i was growing yeah. up there uh in fact uh, i went to the catholic high school in the next town a central catholic high school and no one in that high school even had ever heard of rainer mm -hmm. i mean it was just kind of off the radar right um you know i got my i started my first job in the seventh grade 
Um, and then I worked, uh, you know, summer jobs and part-time jobs through uh, high school and college, you know, just doing all of the worst jobs that they could think of, right? So, um, you know, my, my dad was old school that way, um, believing that, you know, you, you worked your way up. Um, but I also, you know, had a lot of great mentors that uh, equally emphasized the importance of education because my dad really didn't. And my grandfather didn't have a lot to do with, you know, uh, at least higher education, right? They, they believed in the old school, you know, school of hard knocks. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, um, I went off to business school um, and I was a very good student. I was good at it, right? So I, 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 I've had a lifelong love of learning um, and just, uh, and, and that's kind of in, in my own worldview of, of way of investing in yourself is, uh, you know, you can always learn from others and you can always, you know, you, you need to be committed to a lifelong pursuit of learning. Absolutely. Uh, and so um, I, I went down that road and, and as the third generation Ray in the business, there was always this expectation over my head that I would become part of the family business. And uh, I just never knew any better, right? That was my destiny uh -huh. um, and I embraced it. And, uh, and but for I would tell you that for my kids, um, Cindy and I have taken a little bit different tact in that um, we also wanted them to grow up with a real sense of humility. You know, I would say in our in our own family values, um, uh, the 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 top three are cemented around the idea of gratitude, um, the idea of humility, uh, and the idea of just being a joyful. Um, loving kind of person, mm -hmm. all built in a, the context of and our, I, and our I, Christian faith. And I faith. see that in, in the highest level, not just well, with Ray, Ray for sure, but his wife Cindy, your kids, they're amazing when it comes to you know, your, the positivity in your family and the, and the, uh, the love of life is so, is, is so evident when you're around your family. It's so cool to, to be a part of, Ray. And the, and the great influence, thank you, Gary, and the, the great influence with Cindy um, especially was, uh, you know, making sure that we avoided the temptation of giving our kids everything, right? Uh -huh. um, and so you have to really be conscious about saying you can't rob them of their um, desire and ability to earn things and accomplish things for themselves. Absolutely. And I think that's a number one mistake that a lot of um, affluent people mm -hmm. can make is uh, just making it too easy on their kids. Um, and so all of our kids have had jobs and you know, had to do do some of the. It's it's kind of our you know school of hard knocks, and you gotta you know you gotta earn it kind of thing. I probably learned from my dad and and his dad before him, um, but we we so that's in common. But the thing that's different is that we've always insisted that uh, for for our next generation that the family business was an option, but we left it at that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we really want them to pursue. What their where their dreams and ambitions take them, and try to figure out how we can support that. Um, I love it. And uh, if the family business, you know, a lot of it at a young age, uh, you don't know what you don't know as a as a young adult, um, and so it might take them some time to discover really what the opportunity might be in the family business. But that discovery process is is 
really what makes yeah. it fun. Um, yeah, when, when they, when, you know, and I've pushed our kids. I mean, I've pushed them away, but basically said, "Hey, go find your passion." And and you know, this business may not be here when you're when when you're uh, in the working world, right? Just didn't. You know, my my kids were young. The business was very small. And as it got to be a little bigger, and they started going off to college, same thing. You know, hey, you, you guys do what you want to do. If you find passion in this in this dirty business we're in, love to have you. But you know, you got to love it. Otherwise, we don't want you. And and eventually, you know, a couple of them work for us today, and you know, one's still in high school, and the other one's uh, an attorney somewhere else. But every, all my kids will not be in this business unless they're passionate about one aspect of it, or one of the companies we start, or, or whatever. Same thing, though. They, you know, they're the joy for me, and I think for you is watching them find their independent passion, right? Right. To see them thriving, right, in in, in something that independently they're going to just lead and, and and kick butt and work hard at, right? Maybe not even lead, but 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 be be a, be be passionate about whatever they do every day. That's a, that's the goal, right? And the thing too is, I you know, I, I'll I'll share a story from Mr. Kemen's book in his twenty. What's you the know, name of that book again? I want to make sure. We, I think it's called uh, uh, Half Luck and Half Brains, and it's it's out of I think it's out of print, but it's a cool. It's just a very cool old book. Um, but one of his, uh, and this guy's just very old school, right? Um, in a great way. But one of his laws is uh, of leadership or tips to success is. You don't necessarily have to do what you love, um, and, um, and the way the way you really need to understand that is um, if you have a passion, like let's say I have a passion for music, mm-hmm. I don't need to make that my business. Right, right, right. right. So you can you can separate your passions from sure. your work, but you do you need to love what you do. Mm-hmm. So I mean, for us, Gary, I mean. Paving is paving, and garage doors is garage doors, and to our kids, you know, those aren't real sexy businesses, right? Yeah. But just being in business is what's sexy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, employing people and growing, and you know, having a positive bottom line, and then being able to take your resources and you know, move them into your foundation and do good things for you know needy people and good causes, right? right. Is um, is what really makes it so uh, rewarding. Um, Absolutely. The the business is an economic engine, right? Mm-hmm. And it uh, provides opportunity for so it many. Creates opportunity, um, and that's what's so compelling about being in business. Um, and then we can, you know, our our, our other passions or in our hobbies and the things that we love to do outside of business can be the things that you know that that we do, you know, is, that our businesses allow us to do once we become successful. Right. And, and your your biggest challenge, and I find this in myself a bit, of course, is is you know so many passions, right? I mean, I love my business and I love my I love my faith, my family, and I love a lot of different things that I do, and, and the, you know whether it be golf or, or other things. But this guy, Ray. Oh my, Q! If you, you I may have told you about a few of the things that I get to do with this guy and and Cindy, his wife. But you know, he 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 sets up the coolest motorcycle rides <laughs> in the world on an annual basis, and we we get to go on them with him. Cheryl and I have been on um, annual motorcycle rides with Cindy and Ray, and 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 another great couple or two. They're great friends with us, um, and it's amazing, right? But he he spends time setting this stuff up. Uh, snowmobile trips. He does an annual snowmobile trip. I haven't gotten on one of those yet, but one of these days I'm going to get on one of those because I, I do like to snowmobile as well. Um, all these cool things that you do because you you just you just embrace life, and it's so much fun to watch, Ray. Uh, you know, tell, tell a little about well, that it, stuff. It's all, for me, it's very purposeful because, uh, you know, my, my dad died in, in 2013, and, you know, when you, when your father passes and he's, he's you know, part of a, not not only your father, but also you know, 
a business leader in a community and mm-hmm. you know and has this uh, uh, family business uh, dynamic uh, to his life and and his death right that um, it really hits you and uh, you know it makes you it wakes you up and says you know you look around and and, and you kind of take stock um, and for me um, I've always tried to have great balance um, where it's uh, all of my time isn't spent in the business at the expense of my family, for instance, mm-hmm. or all of my time isn't spent with my family and business at the expense of my own personal ambitions and passions. And so trying to find that balance has been really um, core to who the life I'm trying to live with a, with a great deal of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's uh, I'm, I'm very deliberate about um, how I spend my time and uh you know how i allocate it and i kind of know i got it about right <laughs> when you know i'm i'm hearing noise about i'm not spending enough time at work or i'm not or with customers or i'm not spending enough time and i'm not spending enough time at home and with family things and i'm not you know i'm saying no to all these great opportunities uh of things going around and you know Gary, as well as I do, that uh, we get spread pretty thin, right? I mean, there's a lot of opportunities to to go do a lot of cool things with a lot of our friend and business network. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, oftentimes, it's a matter of what you say no to yes. um, is, yeah. is as important as what you say yes to. So I, I have a few things that uh, are really um, um, important to me. And I, and I would tell you that one of the themes um, you already hit on, I mean, I always try to think that my family comes first and the, the family stuff that I do with my kids and my wife is is highest on the list. And I really try to focus on the experiential things um, in that in that, you know, you have all the, the regular stuff, you know, the you know, that, that you need to be part of and, and uh, present for. But uh, what really excites me is the experiential things that, that uh, I, I love introducing them to um, opportunities that um, expand the boundaries of learning mm-hmm. through experience. So my kids, for instance, are all scuba divers, and they, they learned to scuba dive at the youngest age so that they could be exposed to that incredible ecology and that right. incredible world that's underwater and how important our our ecosystem and oceans are to to our planet, right? Um, we do, uh, you know, snow skiing is, is you know, in, in really any kind of water sport um, is, is really uh, um, hits home with us. Our, our latest venture is in flying, but not just any flying. We're actually, uh, we, did a, we did a family uh, uh, school of hang gliding uh, where we learned to be, uh, all, to be hang gliding pilots uh, uh, at this great little school down in the... Did, did Cindy step back from that one or no? She, uh, see, Cindy is not one that, to be left behind. Uh, that's so, awesome. too, so, huh? so she is, uh, uh, she's, she's, she's going to at least try it. So uh, her deal with, with, with me and the family was, you know, I'll, it's, it's like uh, snow skiing where you start on the bunny hill. Mm-hmm. She said, I'll, I'll do the bunny hill part of this, but I, I have no interest in graduating to the intermediate hill or certainly the the double diamond when we're <laughs> when we're flying off the side of a mountain so uh um so she started the process so she's right there with us wow, um, right. strapped into a hang glider and running down the hill i've um, seen some pictures i mean it's impressive <laughs> but my kids are you know they're they're actually quite good at it and catch on pretty quick and so and then and then the other category for me you know i, I would tell you that uh one of the themes has been um uh directly related to the family business has been the importance of the relationship with my brother, 
who's really my partner in the mm-hmm. business. Um, and I had some great it's advice. Todd? Todd? Yes. Todd's uh, awesome. So, cool and I had some great early advice that um, the success of our generation, this third generation, because remember that the handoff from my grandfather to my dad wasn't great. Um, mm-hmm. It was uh, a tough, tough transition from first to second generation. And a, and a friend of mine took me aside and said, the key to the success of second to third generation is the ability for you, you and your brother to work well together mm-hmm. and live well together. Right. And so I took that as a, a sort of a personal challenge and um, committed that um, I was going to have a tremendous relationship with my brother, who's six years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. We didn't really grow up together. Um, uh, and so uh, it took a lot of effort on my part and his part to say, we're, we're going to have this tremendous brother relationship. Uh, and we've, you know, he, he'd be the first one to admit that I'm a complete pain in the ass uh, <laughs> as an older brother. But uh, we have a great, a great relationship. And, and a lot of these experiential things, whether it be motorcycle trips or snowmobile trips or ski trips or football mm-hmm. games, you know, he's, all the he's right there crazy you. things that we do, we, awesome. uh, we get to do together, which is really pretty special. Yeah, I've seen you guys together. It's, it's awesome to watch the love for each other you guys have, you know, the, the, the older brother to younger brother thing. And, and that's really cool. So appreciate it. Okay, now, one, one thing I look at, at you and Cindy and your family as a representation of, of uh, strongest in faith as a family. I mean, when, you know, when Cheryl and I started hanging out with you guys and we pray before meals, pray before, I mean, not all our friends do that, and, and, uh, and we try to, um, and, and, uh, but either way, your faith is super strong, and, your, you know, your community knows it. Anybody that knows you to, you know, know that. And it's awesome to watch. You're, you're, you know, you're an inspiration to, to people that are, you know, maybe they they love their faith, but they're not all the way there, maybe, or they're they're not focused not that much. But when you're around Ray and Cindy, you're focused on it because it's part of part of uh, you know some of the conversations we have. It's it's also the way you live your life. So that's really awesome. And tell Thank tell you. me about that. And and have you always been like that? And 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 what do you find? And how does your relationships grow because of that? Is that part of your gratitude being a big part of who you are? Is it tell, you know? So, you know, I would I would say for me specifically, and this probably is for everybody, you know, faith is really a journey um, and you never really get there. Mm-hmm. You die, right? <laughs> and then you hope you get there, right? <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I would say, uh, you know, uh, we do these uh, business exercises and I'm sure you've been in, you know, a dozen of these where you say, what's your personal mission statement? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you, how do you really identify yourself? And, and I, I would say that um, my personal mission statement is pretty simple, uh, and that's to get to heaven and to get as many people there with me as I possibly can. Um, the ones you like or even the ones you It doesn't you don't matter. Like. It doesn't matter. So, um, you know, I, I hope everybody ends up there, and, and I hope there's a lot of different paths to get there. That's right. So, um, that's right. But I would tell you that, uh, you know, my journey has been largely guided by Cindy. Um, you know, the, the tremendous influence that she's had. Um, because, you know, growing up, I was, you know, pretty, you know, I, was, I grew up Catholic in Catholic schools. and But, you know, a lot of that doesn't stick as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. So and I, I think until you have kids of your own, uh, it, it's hard to really uh, get serious. At least it was for me. Um, and then it's, you know, it's, it's been a journey. And, you know, um, I, I'm as big a heathen as you've ever met, uh, you know, and came, came out of a pretty crazy and, and wild, um, you know, young adult, you know, period yep. and, and all that stuff. Uh, 
but uh, really wanted to be a, a, a great example and a world-class dad for my kids. And I realized early with Cindy's help that uh, you know being really grounded in faith and bringing bringing kids up in this crazy world um, isn't getting any easier. No. Uh, the the popular culture isn't really your friend, um, and so you have to do so much to be a, a positive. Um, counterforce to all of that and that's what we've tried to be and it's just a continuing journey I, uh, uh, you know there's there's days uh, I'm I'm pretty proud of myself and there's days when I'm pretty not proud of myself so <laughs> it's a uh, it's an ongoing thing and uh, I, I certainly don't think I'm better than anybody else um, but I just hope that by my example and by my actions more than anything I say um, that uh, I, I can hopefully be an open door and lead people in a positive and right you're, direction. You're, you're doing it every day. And, and you know, Q and I run this a lot when we interview our, our friends that are leaders and entrepreneurs. And so often, right, it, it's an unfair, the unfair advantage is a great partner that they've, that they've spent they've spent their lives with, raised their kids with, and, and grew, the, grew their business with. Um, you know, and, and Quentin, Quentin's uh, hit it out of the park with Brittany and I did with Cheryl and, and you definitely have with Cindy, right? Absolutely. It's, it's an unfair advantage that, that uh, it if, is. if all of us could be blessed with that, it'd be a different world, right? For so, sure. Yeah, yeah it's a, it, it, I, I must say it's been a huge advantage for me because Cindy's not only been a, a great wife, but she's been a great corporate wife. I mean, mm -hmm. she, she does really, really well uh, with our customers, with employees, in any any setting that you know I drop her in, um, she <laughs> yeah. she can she can she hold can her own. She can handle herself. <laughs> That's she, for she's sure. not looking for you to you got to be next to her or anything. She's like probably Ray, get out of here. I got I got I got people to meet over here. Exactly. Right? She's uh, she's she's very kind and humble herself, and so uh, she's she's kind of a magnet to people because um, she has a real sense of. Uh, empathy and mm -hmm. you know emotional IQ or whatever you want to call Super it that, high. Uh, Super she, high. she she can tell when somebody needs a friend and and she's right there for them yep. so so I want to I want to make sure we hit a couple things before we're done and one one cool thing that that uh, Ray uh, you know you're, you're you've built and it's been so far fun to watch your your passion for it is you know that the your history of the rock, rock and roll and, and where it began and all that with your with your grandfather and, and his connections to Memphis and and all that, or what is it, Memphis? Mm -hmm. or Memphis, yeah. Um, and 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 nowadays, your your the, the development of the Garage Mahal, which uh, you know I've been to a, a, a few fundraisers out there so far, and you're you're having more and more of these fundraisers for the community at what you've built on your property on sure. the Rock on the Rock River. What an amazing place, Q. You got to get out there. I think I've told you about this before. We got to get you out there, you, you and Brittany out there sometime because it's unbelievable. It's got this amazing garage, right? Garage Mahal, of course, um, with with a stage in there like a real, I mean, not like a real stage, like a real rock and roll stage for a big, big concert. Mm. He's got these beautiful garage doors, of course, that open up to the outside and, and the, the venue outside. And you know, very, very private, two or 300 people is, is what you have at these concerts, and that's it. You can't sell much more mm -hmm. than that. And the, and the intimate atmosphere that he creates with amaz amazing uh, bands, uh, so much fun. So, so you've take, taken your passion, Ray, uh, where, uh, for, for, for rock and roll and, and all this to, to, your, to your garage mahal. Sure. And, and, and you're, you're, you're raising money for the community and, and all different causes I, I, you know, I've seen. It's awesome. It's exactly. Awesome to watch. Well, so I have this old, um, this old hobby of rock and roll. I mean, I played in rock bands, you know, when I was in, when I was in high school and college and, 
Um, ju- I'm just a hack musician. I mean, it's it's wait, hard. Wait, wait, hold on, wait a minute. He says this, but you know, we're, we 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 have done some retreats together, right? With uh, with with uh, YPO. And uh, when I first the first retreat we went on, <laughs> we were at this old western this western like bar. Is it, it was you know emulated the old Wild West building kind of. And there was a band that got done playing, and Ray, I'm pretty sure Ray said, "Hey, could you leave some of your stuff here? We might want to <laughs> grab grab the stage and play some songs if you guys are done." And they left. Uh, what they leave? I think they left a guitar. Well, they, the, the ranch they? had some guitars. Well, they did. Around. Okay. Yeah. So we yeah. got a mic, guitar. We get on the phones. We pull up songs, and and Ray, Ray's just Ray and I are cranking out tunes. Now I'm, as you know, I don't have much of a voice, but but I sing anyway. Ray <laughs> Ray can play the guitar and he can sing. But cue a little disclaimer here. Um, you know, Gary's not a big drinker. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we had him drinking that night. Oh, uh, man. Think, uh, okay. Maybe, maybe, right. maybe a couple. Maybe yeah, a couple takes, of those. It doesn't so, even take a couple. So no, my no. audience, you know, needs to have been well served. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love the way you say it. <laughs> but I'm telling you what, what, I mean, a guy that can create fun anywhere, right? And, and all of the, 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 uh, the, our friends who are there just staying around, we just played songs. We got other people. We found out one friend of ours had a, had, could, could sing Johnny Cash songs sure. like exactly like Johnny Cash. So Ray's playing the the, the, the the tunes on the guitar, and this guy gets up there and he's cranking out Johnny Cash. I mean, it's so much fun. But this is stuff that just happens when you're around somebody that's got uh, this heart in them. Well, uh, you get you get uh, Ray fun. and Raybine together, and it's kind of like Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> especially if you put a mic in front of us. So, uh, so uh, no, that's this is kind of fun. This guy. Sorry about that. Go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, so so uh, you know, being in the garage door business. Um, we get to do projects that are super super cool, um, whether it be commercial industrial projects or residential projects. I mean, we, we put garage doors on some of the most amazing homes in America, right? And some of these amazing homes have just really, really super outrageously cool garage spaces. And so, you know, over the years, you pick up on all these little inspirations. Um, and so I had this vision to build this very uh, interesting carriage house style garage. Um, and I took uh, one, uh, I did a convention for Rainer dealers somewhere in the 2000s, I can't remember now, but uh, uh, we hired Hall & Oates to play. Wow. Um, our, so imagine, you know, Hall & Oates, who are now in the Rock Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. um, playing a, a Rainer garage door in a dealer <laughs> convention. Um, and uh, so I, I, I became a fan of Daryl Hall, and he's got a, a video program that you can see on YouTube called Daryl's House. And it's, it's really neat where he, you know, because of his clout, he brings a lot of classic musicians into his house, and they and they play their songs, and they play Hall & Oates songs. They just do these collaborations, and you get to see a real diverse group of musicians work together to pull these songs off, and it's fascinating as a musician to watch the level of professionalism and the collaboration, how quickly they pick up on cues right, and, right. and they play. And I thought, man, that would just be really cool to have a uh, a a space in my garage where we could you know create music like that because i've got a lot of musician friends and my kids all play instruments mm-hmm. it just be you keep the noise out of the house <laughs> in this separate garage space and and the and the idea started unfolding and it and it kind of got carried away and over the years i'd started collecting guitars and so i had all these guitars and they're stuffed in every closet in the house and Cindy's like, you know, what can we do to get these guitars? And, well, we'll display them in this in this garage space. You know, when we build the stage out, and you know, I'll, I'll build a place to collect guitars, and we'll thin the herd a little bit and get you know a real realistic number of you know neat guitars and cool stuff to look at. And so we created this uh, 
this space we call the Rock House. So think it's like a miniature house of blues. Um, it's got great um, guitar memorabilia, and, and, and I'm trying to do a definitive um, history of rock and roll as part of the overall vibe. I got a really cool green room space for my visiting musicians and uh it's just uh he's got he's got this behind the the stage and you'll explain it better than i do but he's not good at bragging like i am but you know he's got this amazing uh glass wall basically with with these uh, lightsaber like sticks whatever with 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 like collector guitars on right yeah i mean and you can see it from the stage from looking at the stage as well as you, from the players from, lounge, from the yeah. player it's got a player's lounge got to have a player's lounge if you're gonna have a you know garage mahal <laughs> and behind the stage is a player's lounge beautiful you know fireplace bar and then you're looking again at the back side of that glass wall at, at the at the guitars again it's so awesome and where is this this is just, it's in our garage at, you're coming uh, with me buddy we're going there right it's it's, it's so then so, the so gary as uh as we started building this thing out and you know you know how these things you know, you get carried away right Mm-hmm. You just, it just, it's like a, it's just a out of control yeah. snowball kind of effect. Um, and so then uh, you actually invited me to a private concert to one of your buddies um, mm-hmm. that um, uh, had, had a, you know. Mike Domek, yeah. Yes. It's a great concert hall. So, concert uh, so, so Mike, you know, show has this, this ranch or this farm space with these major, major league outdoor concerts yeah. and he does it all for charity mm-hmm. right yep and so i'd like that's that's, that's the, the way this is a way now that i can take you know a cool space that i've created um and uh just on a much smaller scale a more smaller intimate scale and use this as a as a vehicle to not only entertain and have a great time um but also give back to the community so it, it's become um, you know, thanks to Mike and, and his group that do such an incredible job with uh, Bunker Hill. Yes, um, it's just a way to, uh, to to bring friends in and musicians. Uh, our our model is, you know, musicians are like traveling troubadours, right? And they don't always <laughs> get uh, treated well at from venue to venue. And so our, you know, I always said that uh, anybody who comes to Ray's and Cindy's place, the Rock House. Um, the musicians are going to get a red carpet treatment, and we're going to treat them like family, mm-hmm. right? And they're going to—I want their experience to be as great wow, as cool. all the guests that come to enjoy, you know, their their unique talents, right? Uh, and so, what what an amazing uh, you know gem for the community, right? When you have something like this that that can you know can bring bring dollars to the community to solve some problems in the community too. Right, like your place has and will in the future, in a, like in Mike Zomek's place sure. has in, in Woodstock and McHenry County. It's awesome. And in a, in a small town, a little money goes a long way, yes. right? So uh, we, we don't do real big numbers, but all, all the proceeds from our events, you know, we, we, we direct to a neat, you know, very worthy and uh, in need uh, charities mm-hmm. um, and community, you know, activities that are important to, to Dixon and our surrounding communities. Uh, so it's just a it's a pleasure to use this as a way to give back because it's a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. We create great events. Um, the artists, I think, love it. Uh, we're, we're trying to build a real reputation that, you know, anybody who's anybody really wants to, you know, have the, uh, 
you know, the, the experience of uh, coming to the Rack House and play, and ho- hopefully it becomes a thing. Like, so. like Bunker Hill, the, word, the word's traveling fast because, mm-hmm. you know, people I talk about, you know, uh, that I'm from out there by, by Domex place at Bunker Hill, then also, also I hear, you heard about the new place, right? The, the new place the, at the Rock House, the Ray, <laughs> that Ray guy's got going on, right? And, and, you know, it becomes kind of, it becomes a blast for people that, that love these venues to, to know that the money they're spending is going to direct to a charity, right? So right. if it's a couple hundred bucks a ticket, uh, you know, it, it's a lot cooler than going on there somewhere else where right. it doesn't go to the charity, unfortunately. But, hey, and, and it, we, 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 we can... Uh, we have a lot of fun with us because uh, you know we'll, we'll, I think there's a lot of conversation going to with this guy. He's he's a he's a world of information, and uh, we're, we've just we just cover the you know, just cover the tip of the iceberg here. We're going to go deeper next time if we can get him back. He's a busy guy. Tough to get a hold of this guy and get him in here, but we did. So good job there, Q. Well, you made the call. We, were, so. we had to work hard on this one. And, and you know, you, you, re, you often don't say no to Gary because he's nothing if not persistent. So. But that's true. Enthusiasm is contagious. Q's, Q's starting to be pretty persistent, too. Well, you know, I go by a statement. As long as you don't call me annoying, then I'll keep going. So, <laughs> so that's all you got to do. I have not this guy. Q, you're being annoying now. Then you gotta, well, like, Gary, it's a pleasure being here. And thank you for all you do. Um, you, you, you are a, a, definitely a person that I look up to and uh, admire a lot. So uh, nice, thanks nice for being my say. friend. And it's, uh, it's a pleasure uh, uh, going down this path with you. It's a, we're we're going to have a lot of fun, buddy. We've got a lot of road ahead of us, hopefully another 30, 40, 50 years, whatever we can get out of this life. And we're going to do a lot of good things. And Q, uh, so Q goes over things. That, is there any questions that you wanted to ask that we didn't ask you that you can think of? Any any burning questions for now, or are you going to wait till next time? Probably have to wait till next time, man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, t- tell me all the, the cool uh, Q. Yeah, man. So I got some here. some amazing takeaways, Quentin's true takeaways, you know. And you you definitely spitted some golden nuggets, my friend. I could be honest with you. Like, uh, first off, the one thing I saw, uh, or should I say that I heard, was, and it's a true statement, hiring talent is a great quality of a great leader, you know. And um, it's a testament to you know a third generation company. You know, for, obviously you have great people in addition to your family, your extended family as you call it. You know, uh, one thing you started, you, you you hit on. You can't identify opportunity when you uh, well you can excuse me you can't identify opportunity when you look to solve the problem. And it seems like that's what your family did, and that's you know how you all uh, obviously are successful because you look to what problem can I solve? And I think if any entrepreneur thinks like that they can see the opportunities for themselves uh keep things the same will likely will likely uh, kill your business which is true which means you know the only change is only constant you know and that's and that's awesome but you said a quote man and it's a nugget i want you all to write down uh what worked yesterday might not be the solution for tomorrow and um that's that's really key Um, but i think one of the biggest things you said which is uh, unfair advantage is having a great partner and it's um it's a blessing to see um that with your family and i've seen that with gary and everybody else that i've met that um there's always a great uh marriage and a great um um family that is the reason why success is there so uh, i'm excited man and and ray if i could get closer to you i feel like i'm on top of the world so i'm gonna keep <laughs> knocking on your door too so Ray, thank, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. And uh, this, this is a, a great one for, uh, for history, for Ditch Digger CEO. Yeah, and we'll see you all next time on Ditch Digger CEO. See ya. Thanks, guys. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Ditch Digger CEO and 
at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. We're blessed to build a business in America where soldiers fight for our freedom every day. Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck rolling down highway. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.